You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, Packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, Pack underscore daddy. So uh, the Packers made my decision very easy. I was trying to figure out, all right, what am I going to do? There's Packers practice, but also there's more questions. And I would like to get to those questions, but I can't not talk about training camp. And then they decided that they weren't going to practice. So that makes my decision quite easy. So we're doing Q&A day part two. You might as well keep sending in those questions because I don't know if they ever intend on going back to work. We'll, uh, we'll just, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Anyways, thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you get involved in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Make sure you check out Packernet.com. Um, if you want Packers news, and let's just say for a random example, you don't want to get it on Twitter because you're deleting that app off of your phone, completely made up scenario, you're going to need to get your news from somewhere else. You could do Facebook, but you got to sift through about 50% of that stuff just being completely made up articles. I have a thought. How about you check out a thing called Packernet.com, where we aggregate all of the articles from Packers news websites, you know, not crazy sports 1053.dz slash underscore dot com like real news just a thought check it out also when you go there there's going to be a under the news or at the top of the news section a little gear icon click on that you can click and uh, or check or uncheck whichever news sources you like don't like whatever you get your own personalized news feed something to consider i don't know check it out don't check it out it's your life um, YouTube, Pack Daddy NFL, also FTFN on YouTube. Go check that out. All the, all the, so many things to choose from. We really got it good, don't we? You'd never know that we had it good, but we do. You'd, you'd never know that we were li- living in the easiest, most prosperous, most amazing times of any human being on the face of the earth in all of human history. You'd never know it, would you? Ah, that's all right. So that's the plan. Uh, I'm not sure how long it'll take. I didn't have um, the opportunity to do quite as much ridiculous, massive research as I did with the last questions, but I still want to address them and um, give my thoughts on them. So let's just take a break. We'll get to the questions and we'll call it a day. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. 
when I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hi, Ryan. This is Andy from Kansas. I had a question for the show. <clears throat> Wondering if you could uh, tell us which uh, positional group of all the Packers opponents this year, which of them um, is probably going to be the most challenging. For example, if you just want to like, choose, you know, go through all the offensive lines for all the opponents we're going to have, kind of rank them, or just, you know, pick whichever def- offensive or defensive units where we're at to play, uh, do you think are going to be uh, the biggest concern? Andy, my man, thanks for calling as always. So I'm actually glad you asked the question because I've done this in the past and I thought I remembered it properly, but apparently I wasn't. Um, I thought in 2018, I had said that it was the wide receivers last year. It was the pass rushers. I think it's 2017 going back and looking at it. 2017 was brutal in terms of the, the wide receivers were going up against. And then last year it was definitely the, the pass rushers. I mean, it was, if we just go back and look, the Bears, Khalil Mack, Minnesota, Daniil Hunter, Denver, Von Miller, right? And just on and on and on. Um, the Eagles have great pass rushers. Dallas has a great pass rusher. Detroit had Trey Flowers. The Raiders have jack squat, but they don't have anything anywhere anyways. The Chargers with Bosa. And just, I mean, some of these teams are just bad, and the one thing they have is a pass rusher. Um, so every year there's kind of been something that stood out, and I've highlighted it on the podcast, and I haven't yet done it. And to be honest, I actually thought about it. I need to do that. Um, you're kind of putting me on the spot here a little bit. I've got a couple preliminary thoughts, but again, nothing is quite perfect. Um, I think pass rusher stands out a little bit, but already in week four, we're kind of not getting anything. So we got Daniil Hunter with the Vikings. You got Trey Flowers with the Lions. The Saints actually have two solid pass rushers because Davenport, the guy they traded up to get, is actually coming coming on pretty strong. But then you get to the Falcons, and they don't have much. Um, Tampa Bay has a good pass rusher, uh, Texans have a good pass rusher, Vikings again, San Francisco obviously does. The other thought I had, the, the next two thoughts, are wide receiver and quarterback. If you look at wide receiver, they've got um, Adam Thielen, Kenny Galladay, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones. Tampa Bay has uh, Evans and Godwin. The Texans lost their number one guy, but they added a couple, so it's kind of iffy, I guess. Then we got the Vikings again. 49ers have Samuel, who's decent. You got T.Y. with the Colts. Kind of iffy, I guess. And then quarterback, you got Cousins, who I know nobody respects, but he had a great year last year. Stafford actually had a great year last year. You've got um, Drew Brees. You got Matt Ryan. You got Tom Brady. You got Deshaun Watson. You got um, Kirk Cousins again. Garoppolo's kind of iffy, but he's not terrible. Minshew would probably be on the lower tier of that. Then you got Philip Rivers. Then you got the Bears. <laughs> then you got Carson Wentz, Matt Stafford, Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Tannehill. I think I think I would probably lean toward quarterback. That's a pretty solid slate of some of the best quarterbacks in football. Obviously, not all of them are that good. Minshew and Trubisky, or whoever ends up winning that battle. Um, Teddy, we'll see what happens. I think he's actually going to be fairly decent. He's obviously not going to be one of the best ever. 
and we're not actually going up against the top two quarterbacks, which, you know, depending on what happens with Lamar and whether he regresses, uh, we're not facing the Chiefs, we're not facing the Baltimore Ravens, we're not actually facing the Seahawks. So I don't I don't know, man. I don't I don't think it's quite as clear cut. It's not defensive line. The Vikings don't have it, the Saints, the Lions. If you look at safety, uh, Vikings do, Lions kind of do, Saints kind of do, Falcons absolutely do not. Buccaneers, I guess, maybe-ish, depending on... Eh, I'm just going to say no, they don't. I mean, if we're actually talking about some of the top-tier guys, definitely not. Texans, no. So it's not safety. It's definitely not corner, because the Vikings don't even have corners to field. Lions do. Falcons don't. Offensive line, the Vikings don't. The Lions don't. Saints' offensive line is solid. The Falcons is not. Tampa, not really. Texans, definitely not. So it's not offensive line. Tight end. I mean, you got the two second-year guys with the Vikings and the Lions. You got Jared Cook, who's decent. I think the better way to do this might be to just look at who are the best in the game and how many of those are we going to have to face. So Kittle, yes. Andrews, no. Higby, no. Kelsey, no. Disley, no. Darren Waller, no. So probably not tight end, right? Running back in terms of the grades, you got uh, Nick Chubb, no. Josh Jacobs, no. We are facing Christian McCaffrey, no. Eckler. Aaron Jones is on our team. Tony Pollard, no. Dalvin Cook, yes. So it's not running back. And then again, we come back to quarterback. Ryan Tannehill, yes. Russell Wilson, no. Drew Brees, yes. Kirk Cousins, yes. Lamar Jackson, no. Pat Mahomes, no. Matt Stafford, yes. Carr Rogers, no. Tom Brady, yes. I'm, I don't know, man. Kind of leaning toward quarterback. I know Tannehill's probably going to regress, but still, he's he's he was graded number one last year, so it's hard to completely take him off the list. So it's not as, I'm not as terrified this year as I was in years past. I was horrified. Well, and, and part of the problem is, back in, let's say, 2017, we're talking about the best wide receivers in the game against one of the worst cornerback groups in football. That was horrifying. Last year, edge rush is always scary, even if you like your offensive line, and I did. And it's part of the reason why Brian Balaga was so unbelievably valuable, because not only did he have a great year, but a lot of these guys lined up on his side. Von Miller lined up on his side. Um... Uh, Khalil Mack, I mean, not 100% of the time, but a large portion of these really dominant pass rushers, for some reason, are lining up on the right side, probably because right tackles aren't generally as good as left tackles. And there are a decent amount of of pass rushers again. And I guess you shouldn't be overly confident uh, facing quarterback, because there's not a much more valuable position than that. So it'll be tough, but it's not as though there's a, a massive weakness. And again, if we look at wide receiver being pretty solid again, we're also looking at a different Packers team. This isn't the 2017 Packers defensive back group. You know, we got Jair, we got King, Chandon, Savage, Amos, Green. I mean, you just feel better about it. So I'll say quarterback. We could look at weakest, but I don't want to have to go through all that all over again. And I think part of the reason it's hard is it's just it's just a pretty solid Packers roster. So there's nothing I'm looking at and just saying, oh, no. I mean, from, from any vantage point. You know, I mean, maybe if they were really good offensive lines, that would scare me in our ability to actually get anything done. You know, the pass rush regresses and our ability to, you know, again, stop the run diminishes. That would that would scare me a bit. But anyways, Andy, thanks for the call. Moving on. What up, Pack Daddy? This is Bruce from El Paso. Got a question for you. Um, just curious to see. I put up a poll on Twitter, and this is fantasy-related, but curious to see why you think that Guara and his first rookie season will do better than Sternberger. We've got, and, and it seems like nobody is 
taking tonguing seriously at all either. So just curious to hear your thoughts as to what you're seeing or what you're hearing that the war is going to be so involved offensively. Thanks a lot, man. Love listening to you. Keep it up, bro. So let's start with a couple things. First of all, obviously nothing is 100%. And I think second of all, part of it is pure optimism, just to be completely honest. And a lot of that comes from the fact, and I feel like I come from a slightly different, it's it's almost the exact opposite bias that a lot of Packer fans have. I look at this and say, I don't have any negative information about these guys yet. It's why I'm a fan of Jordan Love, um, A.J. Dillon, and Josiah DeGuara. And I'm becoming less optimistic about Jordan Love as negative information is starting to pour in. Even A.J. Dillon, some negative information is coming in, like in terms of pass blocking. Josiah DeGuara, there's no negative information. I think he's been the best tight end in camp. So I can continue my optimism about him. Whereas with Jay Sternberger, I had optimism, and then I saw him play a year and just not really get much time. I know he was injured, but even when he was healthy, they didn't put him in very much. And it was similar to Dexter Williams, where when he was in there, I thought he did a great job. And I'm thinking, dude, he's killing it. Let him play. And they just didn't put him in. Now, that could be because of whatever, whatever. But again, the problem with Jace is sort of a lack of experience. And then last year, he didn't get a bunch of, of time to play. So he's still kind of just rocking with one year at Texas A&M is the entirety of his experience playing tight end at a somewhat high level. That's not a lot at all. I mean, he did have technically 49 snaps at uh, Kansas, which didn't pan out all that well for him. But yeah, 2018 Texas A&M, 846 snaps. Got my PFF college thing rocking. I love it. 447 snaps as a receiver, 33 as a pass blocker, 366 as a run blocker. That's the extent of his experience. And then we can add 99 more snaps as a professional football player. In that time, um, week 10, he was terrible. Week 13, he was terrible. Week 14, he was terrible. Week 15, he was terrible. Week 17, they graded him as average. Week or against Seattle, terrible. And then finally against San Francisco, the game in which nobody played well, he decided he was going to show up. So we could call that optimism and say, hey, he turned the corner last minute, or maybe not. I don't know. He did grade out every single time as a pass blocker really well, by the way. 74, 72, 72, 73. He never had a bad grade as a pass blocker, which is awesome. And as I said, I think he's underrated as a blocker. But again, compare that to Josiah DeGuara, who had a grand total at Cincinnati of 1,692 snaps. He just has more um, more experience. So I guess, I guess I'm just optimistic that he's sort of NFL ready. Now, that's not... The other part of it, again, so there's the optimism side of it. There's the fact that he's more ready. There's the fact that I think he has somewhat of an easier job, not necessarily as a blocker, but Jace has to block too, and I think Josiah DeGuara is going to be more ready and prepared to be a blocker. But also, he has an easier job, whereas Jace is going to be lined up in the slot, you know, going up against safeties and sometimes corners and trying to beat them on routes down the field. Josiah DeGuara is about deception. He's going to be with guys that think that he's blocking and he's going to slip out past him and catch a little eight-yard pass. He doesn't have to beat you with his route. Matt LaFleur is going to break your brain with Josiah DeGuara. I mean, he's going to have to do things technically correct on some level. But my thought is, and beyond that, this is a critical piece of what Matt LaFleur wants. He really wants and needs a Josiah DeGuara on the team. And that doesn't hurt when the coach really wants and needs someone like you and wants to scheme plays towards somebody like you. So all these things together get me excited about Josiah DeGuara. 
Now, I don't think he's going to have a bigger year statistically, as I've said. I think Jace, just by virtue of what they're going to ask him to do, to be running down the field, catching more of these big plays, whatever, I, I think it's more likely he has more statistical aptitude. I don't know what I'm looking for there. But the gauge that I was going to use was PFF. In other words, he's Josiah, I think, is just going to be doing a better job of whatever his job is going to be. He may end up with, with better statistics than Jace. I don't know. But that would be hard to do because Josiah, I think, on a yards per reception basis is probably going to be a little behind. Also, probably just less overall targets because a lot of the time he's going to be staying in and blocking, whereas Jace is going to be running routes the vast majority of the time. But I'm just I'm just excited about it. I feel like he's a critical piece to this system, and Matt LaFleur just desperately needs him, and that just points me in the direction of he's going to lean on him. But again, this absolutely is is a lot to do with with optimism, and I really do like Jace, and I'm really excited about him. He's just got a, a tough job ahead of him of trying to get up to speed and uh, trying to beat much more talented competition. As far as Robert Tanyan, he's just another guy that he's he's very similar to Kumaro. Every year, everybody loves him. They talk about how great he is, but yet he doesn't see the field very much. He has one or two big splash plays, and then it's just nothing. I had I did a video yesterday talking about Kumaro where I, I think there's a good chance he doesn't make the team, and somebody came out and said he only was targeted 10 times, yes, he has like three highlight reels, real plays. And it's like, yeah, you're kind of making my point, though, aren't you? He's, he's, he's barely ever out there. He has like three splash plays per year, and we're all hyped up about the guy. And I think fans sometimes default to, it's not that he's bad, it's just that the coaching staff is too stupid. And if I was the coach, I would be much smarter. I would make Robert Tanyan my starting tight end, and we would just dominate everybody because Tanyan's elite, and I think that's a little silly. Tanyan, as far as his PFF grade, took a step back last year. In 2018, he graded out at 60.3, which is dead average. He dropped to 55.0, which is below average. Um, Tanyan had two games in which he graded out good or better. Um, week 5 against Dallas, he graded out really well, but that's easy to do when you go out for four passes and... Uh, I mean, he caught one for 23 yards, so <laughs> that was that was his second best game. Uh, the the best game as far as his overall grade was an 82.7 against Minnesota. He didn't go out for a single pass. In fact, he got, I should say, he did go out for a pass. He didn't catch a single pass. His receiving grade was a 49.6. We did a terrible job as a receiver, which again is part of the problem. If you only see him three times and they're all really nice catches, and then we get excited and just assume he hasn't been playing. No, he's been out there. He's just been failing to do anything properly. I'm not 100% anti-Tanyan. I just think we're being a little bit silly about it. He's an undrafted free agent. We've seen him for years be, you know, okay, 15 targets, 10 receptions for 100 yards and a touchdown. What am I supposed to base this on? I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, again, we, we've got two options with, with Robert Tanyan. Number one, Jimmy Graham was a better tight end than Robert Tanyan. Number two, Matt LaFleur is an idiot. I'll let you pick. And, and if you want to just play the whole, well, it's because we're paying Jimmy so much money. I don't think it matters. I think Matt LaFleur is willing to lose games because Robert Tanyan is an elite player that he's leaving on the bench, but he's putting Mercedes Lewis and Jimmy Graham on the field so that his GM does, can save face. I don't think so. I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think so. I mean, Josh Jackson was a second-round pick by the same GM. Guy isn't seeing the field. I don't think it matters. I think if you play well, you play. If you don't play well, you don't play. And as far as the Green Bay Packers are concerned, Robert Tanyan was the fourth best tight end out of four last year. 
and I would expect that this year he's going to be the fourth fourth best tight end. Jace has a role. It's to take over for Jimmy. Josiah DeGuara is going to slide in as the H-back. Mercedes is going to slip out once in a while. And Tanyan is also, I mean, he's going to have a pretty similar role, I would think. I mean, I, I just, I don't, I don't have any information to go off of for Robert Tanyan that says I think he's going to beat out the two young rookies that the coach really likes and Mercedes Lewis, who's a veteran and a solid blocker. So again, I just, I just come at it from the opposite standpoint. I don't see three highlight reels a year and get excited and say this guy's a freak. If only he was healthy or if only the coach would give him a chance. I think he has three good plays because he's about, you know, good enough to give you three plays a year, which isn't very good. And I think there's a lot of stuff off camera when they're not catching those highlight reel passes that tells the coaches everything they need to know about what this person's abilities are. Not impossible. Anything could happen. But there's enough examples of fans getting really excited about undrafted free agents that have a couple big plays in preseason and maybe one big play in the regular season and freaking out about how great they are and then they don't ever contribute and then they get cut and then they don't ever go to another team it's not like these guys are getting cut going to other teams and are number one they just disappear slowly off the face of the earth like jeff janice where is he tearing it up right now oh yeah that's right he's not he's back in tawas michigan or wherever he's from the only reason I know that, I actually was looking at taking a job there. It looks like a really nice area. And then uh, I saw he was from there. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. He's from that town with the lighthouse. That's cool. So that's my thought. Again, I, I have no idea. It's just, it's a lot of it has to do with optimism about a new player that I don't have any negative information about yet. You know, it's kind of like when you start dating someone. And if somebody were to come up to you and like, why do you think this is going to be a better relationship than your last one that was a massive failure? When you've had like five in a row that just haven't panned out. Which is a good analogy when we talk about Packers and tight end. And it's like, dude, because she's awesome and perfect, duh. You know, because you went on one date and you haven't seen any of the flaws yet. Does that kind of make sense? That's where I'm at. This is the the honeymoon phase where we're, you know, we're basically, we haven't even had our first date yet. Which would kind of be like week one. We're kind of just talking online. And you're my buddy calling me up like, dude, why do you think this is going to be so great? I'm like, I don't know, man. I haven't seen anything bad yet. And then you start listing all the flaws of all your exes, and it's like, she hasn't uh, displayed any of this quite yet. It's like, well, yeah, because you haven't even seen her face-to-face yet. Just wait. It's going to be horrible. And I'm like, yeah, probably. (laughs) But I can get excited for now, all right? Just let me be happy for a second before the crushing agony and sorrow. You know, about the tight ends. Um, so anywho's, let's get to our last voicemail here. I think it's a two-parter. Very, very good question, but, um, probably going to have to end it because we're getting kind of late here. I'm so tired. Tired, tired, tired. I'm sure you're tired of hearing me talk about it. Hey, Ryan. Uh, this is Jesse from Oregon. Uh, big fan of the show. Great job. Um, so two questions. I was wondering, um, what is the effectiveness between uh, 11 personnel and 12 personnel, at least when it comes to the Packers, in uh, in the run game, like uh, yards for carry and stuff. And second question is, is EQ a good run blocker? And if he is, would it be better for us to be in uh, 11 personnel and run the ball like that, maybe even having a weight advantage? Or is it just better to run it out of uh, 12 personnel because we're bigger? Thanks. So those are both fantastic questions, and I'm kind of mad at your second question because it makes so much sense, and I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I had it pegged, and then you just completely threw a wrench in everything that I thought I had all figured out. Because you're absolutely right. In fact, 
it seems like Matt LaFleur loves using wide receivers as blockers, and I think it's because it's such a ridiculously unfair competition or unfair advantage. I don't know what I was shooting for there. Um, you know, if you think about a really good run-blocking wide receiver going up against a cornerback, what team on planet Earth drafts a cornerback to be a run defender? Zero. Zero. Literally zero. They are desperately trying to find corners that can lock down wide receivers, and that is the only thing they care about. Maybe a little bit of tackling and whatnot, but that already assumes there's nobody there blocking you. I mean, maybe there's a little bit on that sheet when you're grading out guys that says something to do with block shedding, but man, is that low on the priority list. So when you make run blocking a top priority for your wide receivers, you win every time. So it's kind of like extending out because they do play in tight a lot. You're extending out your wide receiver. If you think about, you know, a tight end and three wide receivers coming in, now you got five, six, seven, eight, nine offensive linemen. Let's just say there's nine defensive linemen, just for the sake of ease. You know, you might win or lose a couple battles on the inside, but on the outside, especially when you're an outside zone team and you're stretching everything to the outside, and it's just pure dominance to the outside. It just, it kind of makes a lot of sense, as weird as it is. Now, the problem is, you're only as strong as your weakest link, and you're adding a lot of links to your chain, and that's a little scary. And I do specifically remember instances where plays, we, we, they completely get blown up because a wide receiver missed a block, and that seems like a really bad way for a run, um, for a running play to fail, is because you relied on a wide receiver to block somebody. But I know that they do, um, do that a bit. The other thing to consider is the difference between, you know, uh, 11 and 12 is you're replacing a tight end with a wide receiver. And I wonder if maybe we rely a little less on that. Not that we still don't have wide receivers blocking, but have them doing that from 11 and leaving Jason DeGuara or Mercedes or whoever to, to block. But as you pointed out, let's look at Equinemius, because if he's in the slot, he's going to be closer to the line and you want him out there. Plus you lighten up the defensive package, right? If you pull a wide receiver and bring in a tight end, they're going to pull a corner and bring in a linebacker or something. So to answer your question, of course, <laughs> of course he is. Um, he graded out 72 overall as a run blocker. I mean, it's just, it's just a, a, a guarantee when we're talking about uh, Packers wide receivers. I think it was Malik Taylor who they picked up and it's like the one thing he's good at is run blocking. Of course. And the, the notion that the Packers aren't going to run the ball more is crazy to me. It's just crazy to me when you look at you know, going out specifically looking at big-bodied running backs like A.J. Dillon, a guy that can carry a workload but also happens to be a very good run blocker. Um, so he'll be able to lead block. Getting more tight ends and um, looking specifically at, even though we're not upgrading our wide receivers, we are going out and getting a bunch of wide receivers that can run block. I mean, it's just, it's there's no question what it is we're doing. Is there? Is there any doubt? On top of getting A.J. Dillon, who's a workhorse, because obviously Aaron Jones can't possibly handle the amount of load that Matt LaFleur is looking to put on somebody. So yeah, so th- I mean, that does make a lot of sense. I I, I tend to think there probably will be more um, 12 personnel. But, but the other part of the question was, if they do go more 12 personnel, are they going to do less 11? Are they going to do... It's possible. They don't really shift much out of 11. Maybe they just decrease some of the other stuff. Or maybe they shift 11 down a little bit. But that is is still... They don't do exactly like what the Minnesota Vikings do, which is where they just bring that down to 25% because it's a useless package for them. They might keep it still pretty... And it's still going to be the number one package, I would assume, right? It's just, instead of 60-20, maybe it's, you know, 50-30 or something. But as you pointed out, 11 is still a valuable 
thing because we do like to use that to run. Plus, it's such a it's a package that you throw out of so often it makes it really easy to be deceptive when you run out of it. And again, instant advantage because our wide receivers are probably going to win all their their blocks. The other interesting thing to note, um, some of the other guys that are already there, Marquez, really bad run blocker. Devontae, not great. Devontae's obviously not going to lose his job, so it doesn't matter. But if you're looking at EQ and Marquez, and we're looking to run the ball a lot, I think even, you know, if we do 12 personnel, it kind of makes sense, or even 11 personnel, when we talk about who's going to be out there more, would it be MVS or EQ? Even regardless of the position, I just feel like EQ is the kind of receiver that Matt LaFleur is going to like a lot more. Alan Lazard, also a very good blocker, which shouldn't be surprising at 6'5", 227 pounds. So I, I feel like having Lazard and EQ and Devontae is just a, a an absolute dream for Matt LaFleur. So I'm, I'm kind of waffling on which side of this I'm on. I mean, I've always thought that they were going to do 11 more than 12. They're going to increase 12. I don't know in what capacity, but I do think you make a really good point about not wanting to do... You don't want to drop 11 too much because we like having blocking wide receivers out there, I guess. So that is a good point. But there's going to be more 12. (laughs) It changes my perception of things, but I guess I'm not entirely sure on a snap-to-snap basis how it changes. But it's a good point, and I'll stash that in the back of my head. As far as um, effectiveness, the first part of your question... Overall, the Green Bay Packers play a little bit better out of 11 than 12. Um, for example, they had a successful pass rate or percentage of 45%. So when they threw out of 11 personnel, they were successful 45% of the time. They were only successful 40% of the time passing out of 12 personnel. Likewise, um, running the ball, they were successful 55% of the time out of 11 and 50% of the time out of 12 personnel. So you could easily look at that and say, see, they're even better running out of 11 than 12, which points to the wide receivers and all that being successful and spreading things out is better when we do that. And that's absolutely true. The question I would I would pose is, talked yesterday about the team being kind of bad at what Matt LaFleur wants in year one, which is why we don't really do what Matt LaFleur wants in year one. And then year two, we kind of shift. What is Matt LaFleur's ultimate vision? Because that's where we're headed. Um, it's possible that we can just look at this and say, well, we're better out of 11, so we're not going to decrease 11. We're better at throwing than running, so we're not going to decrease throwing, and everything's going to stay the same. But I'm looking at it and saying, what does Matt LaFleur want to do? What is he coaching this team to do? What is this team slowly becoming? Um, and, and what I expect is more 12 and being better out of 12. Maybe that's not going to happen. Um, maybe you just look at the information and say, we're better running out of 11, so let's, let's just keep doing it. But I think he's going to be drilling and pounding into these guys that we need to be doing a better job out of out of 12 um, alignment. Something else that's pretty interesting, um, they actually had a 47% pass percentage. So 40% of the time they were successful running out of 21 personnel. So their highest success rate, by a little bit anyways, was out of 21, which is two running backs, one tight end, two wide receivers. So stash that in the back of your mind. Also, they ran better out of that, which shouldn't be too surprising with two running backs. So, yeah, very good point, and um, they're better running out of 11 than 12 so far. Um, just looking through a lot of these teams, that's true of almost nobody. Buffalo was better running out of 11. Chicago was running better out of 11, but their success rate is basically zero running the ball anyways. It's it's pathetic, 38% success rate. Cleveland was marginally better. I, I, I just think it, it kind of just depends. Um, it really just comes down to, for me, what is Matt LaFleur pushing toward, and that's what I'm putting my money on. 
right, I'm buying into whatever Matt LaFleur is trying to move toward, and I, I think that that is the goal, getting heavier, running more, et cetera, et cetera. So anyways, thanks again for all your questions. I did get some more that got texted in or sent over Facebook. Please keep those questions coming. Call in, text in, message me somehow. Try to keep it on my Google Voice. Check the phone number in the comment section because I'm just going to forget. If I have to go to six different places and it's like, where did that guy send a message? Was it in the group? Was it on my Facebook thing? Was it on the page? Was it on Twitter? Was it on uh, Instagram? Let's all try to keep it in one spot. So text or call that number if you have a question. Um, Again, because I don't know exactly if there's going to be football in the near future or not, we will have to just kind of wait and see on that. Which, I mean, that's what we've been doing anyways, right? Had an entire off-season of no football, had coronavirus scare. So, the wait continues. I'll talk to you all, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to do tomorrow or not. We'll see how it goes. Get the questions in, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.